0: All right, go ahead and have a seat if you haven't yet, and we'll get started. All right, good morning again. Uh, my name's Nick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary the Hill. Welcome. Uh, i glad to see each of each and every one of you. Um, we're going to walk through just some basic announcements. if the light flickers, it's because it's windy, I think um all right. So, if you're new and you want to know kind of what's going on uh, around here, you can sign up for our newsletter, and you can sign up on the website calvarythehill.com, or just scan that QR code, and it just kind of gives you a, a heads up on a weekly basis of what's going on. Um, and uh, also, if you're new, we have bathrooms. They're out the front door, up the sidewalk, through the bushes, down the stairs, and you'll find bathrooms. And then also every single week, except fifth Sundays, we serve uh, a community lunch, and that's for free. And that's after the service at twelve thirty p.m. Uh, most weeks, and today is no exception. Does anyone know what's for lunch? Good soup. Yeah. Good. Yeah, soup's good, especially on a day like this. Come on. All right. So stick around. Yeah. Come on. Stick around at 1230 for a free lunch and you are welcome to it as well as our community is welcome to it as well. So you'll see people you don't know and it's a good chance to kind of see what goes on around here. And then also if you're wanting to give uh, financially, you can do so on the website, calvarythehill.com. There's a give button or you can use this cool box. All right. Other announcements. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, we're having... Well, we're not having it, but we're attending uh, a UGM men's recovery program graduation. And our very own Edward is graduating. <laughs> yeah. Edward's already graduated the recovery program. Now he's graduating the CSI internship program. So that's super cool. So that's this Wednesday at University Presbyterian Church at 6 p.m., all right, this Wednesday, February 28th, all right, moving on, so March 9th, uh, you ladies are invited to a women's event called Presence, and that'll be at Luann's house on March 9th from 9 a.m. till 12 noon, and there'll be teaching, uh, treats, uh, worship, fellowship, just it'll be a great time. And then uh, the ask is that you register for it. So in the newsletter, there's a button under the info about the event that you can click and then register so that they can get a proper headcount of who's going to come and how much food to get and all that good stuff. So uh, register for that. It should be a really sweet time. Um, So, yeah, mark, mark your calendars. And then we are in the middle of Lent, and we are participating with a group of churches across Seattle to be in prayer during Lent. Uh, There's six uh, prayer rooms and six prayer rhythms that are sort of going on over this next six weeks. Our prayer rhythm on Thursday mornings is one of those six prayer rhythms, and so um, feel free to come out to that as always. And we're, we're basically praying along six themes over the course of Lent. And last week we prayed for the church, and this week I think it's maybe families or civil authorities, one of the two. But we're kind of covering all the bases over the next six weeks in prayer. So we'd love for you to come out for that. It's 7.30 a.m. every Thursday morning at the Parsonage, and there is a Zoom link as well if you want to join that way. But also check out PraySeattle.org, and you can see all the prayer rooms that are open across the city over the next six weeks, and I'd love for you guys to check out those as well. That'd be awesome. All right, last announcement. Uh, The mission group is leading a prayer evangelism walk. And that's uh, every second and fourth Sunday, and today is the fourth Sunday, so they're going to do that. And that's at 1.30 p.m., and I think the plan is to meet at the Parsonage at 1.30, and then set out and uh, walk the neighborhood and pray for people and see what God wants to do. So that's super cool. All right, that's it as far as announcements goes. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, and then uh, we'll turn to the book of Colossians. All right, so if you don't have a Bible, there, there are a few Bibles around you you're free to use. Um, we'll be on page 985. And this is our second to last week in the book of Colossians. So as of next Sunday, we will finish it. So well done. All right, once you're there, uh, we'll be in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. So once you're there, go ahead and stand up. All right, go ahead and follow along with me. I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Paul is writing Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas." All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this list of names and this uh, passage that is wrapping up this letter that we have so enjoyed and benefited from uh, these last few months. I pray that your spirit would inspire uh, the words that I say and get them out of the way so that your word can speak clearly to us this morning and help us to derive um, truths, Lord, that we might skip over uh, in, a, in a casual reading of this letter uh, so that we can actually uh, learn and be impacted even by a passage such as this. And so we give this time to you and thank you that you want to teach us. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, have a seat. Okay, so last week we reflected on the fact that the church is not a clique. So as believers in the gospel of grace, we are to desire the spilling out of that grace to those who are outside. And so if the church is not supposed to be a clique, what is it supposed to be? And so in these final greetings, as we just read, That Paul gives to the church at Colossae. Instead of a passage that we rush past. Because it's the closing credits. We are actually witnessing the first century church in action. So we should actually pay attention. It's (laughs) alright. So what do we see at play here. In this very early church. What we see is. A beautiful mess, a beautiful mess of overlapping stories. We see redemption, we see reconciliation, we see struggle. Things aren't all buttoned up and shiny, things are messy, but things are joy filled. There is love, there's camaraderie, there's kinship. There's diversity and everything in between. And so we need to pay attention. But it is true that we are in the closing credits. There was no postal service at the time. Paul is writing from a Roman prison uh, to a church in ancient Turkey in the year 60. In the year 60 A.D. And so instead of a postal service, there were couriers or letter carriers. These couriers needed to be commended to those that they were delivering letters to so that the recipient of the letter would accept the letter as having actually come from the sender. And so here in this final section of the letter to the Colossians, we see Paul commending his couriers those men who are going to carry this letter. And then he proceeds to offer greetings from, basically, from his people to their people. So that's the closing credits that we're in. But if we look closely and we hyperlink some of the names and the stories that we're coming across here, we get a picture of the way that we are to do church. As the priest Morton Kelsey said, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. And so at the risk of having too long of a sermon title, the sermon today is called Church, A Beautiful Mess of Overlapping Stories. And we see three aspects in this passage of what makes the church this way. First, we see redemption. Second, we see reconciliation. And third, we see struggle. All right, let's start with redemption. So looking back at verses 7 through 9, Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant or slave in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. And that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so, Tychicus, you've never met someone named Tychicus, I'm guessing, although that's sad, because apparently this guy was awesome. And he appears to be the primary letter carrier. And so, just as a fellow named Epaphras, that we're gonna get to in a minute, Just as Epaphras carried news of the Colossian church to Paul, Tychicus is now going to carry news of Paul to the Colossian church. And because of the similar wording we see at the end of Ephesians, it appears that this guy Tychicus is not only carrying the letter of Colossians. He's carrying the letter of Colossians, and he's carrying the letter of Ephesians, and he's carrying the letter of Philemon all at the same time, it appears. And so, he's got a big job. And so, Paul speaks as highly of him as he does just about anybody. As a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. And so, right off the bat, in this final uh, greetings portion, we see a hint into this interchurch community. We get a window into it. And simply in the way that Paul refers to these people. He honors them in how he speaks of them. We see a slew of terms that Paul uses to describe those that he does ministry with. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, But also we see in the next few verses, fellow prisoner and fellow worker. So once again, we see Paul as not a lone wolf. He surrounded himself with capable, trusted people who did the work alongside him. He wasn't all on his own. And this leads us to redemption. Because right alongside Tychicus we find another courier, Onesimus. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we dove into the story briefly of Onesimus, who is a runaway slave from his owner, Philemon. And Philemon, it turns out, is an important member of the church in Colossae. And so apparently, Onesimus became a Christian under the teaching of Paul. And then in the letter to Philemon, we read that Paul outlines Onesimus's conversion. And then he makes a special plea to Philemon as Paul sends Onesimus back to the Colossian church and to Philemon himself. And I want you to go ahead and turn there because it's pretty awesome. So turn to the right, just a few books to Philemon. It's after all of the T's. You'll see Thessalonians, you'll see Timothy, you'll see Titus. But go ahead and turn to Philemon, uh, which is right after the book of Titus. And Philemon is only one chapter. And so uh, starting in Philemon, verse 10, uh, we'll read uh, through verse 21. And this is Paul writing to Philemon, who is the owner of, of this person that we're reading about today, Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. So Paul writes these words to Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is Paul writing to this runaway slave's owner in Colossae. And so what we see is, through the gospel... Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Onesimus is given a chance, not just to return to his community as one of the family, but also given an opportunity to participate in ministry alongside Tychicus. He's not just given a place at the table, but an opportunity to serve. He's given a vocation. He's he's given an opportunity to carry a few of the letters of the New Testament across the ancient world to their recipients. This is what church is supposed to look like. People from all backgrounds, redeemed from whatever slavery they were in, into a new life with Christ and unto meaningful work for Christ. This is why we're here. There is room for messy beginnings and checkered pasts. Jesus is in the redemption business. The darker your past, the brighter the power of God gets to shine. This is is the M.O. of the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to bring about and that Paul describes In chapter 1, he says that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But here's the thing. With messy stories comes messy relationships within the body. And that's what we'll look at next reconciliation. So first we have redemption, next we have reconciliation. Look at verses 9, uh, excuse me, 10 through 11. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And so Paul moves on from commending the letter carriers to offering greetings from those who are with him. These include three Jewish Christians and three Gentile Christians. The three Jewish Christians we just read about, Aristarchus, Mark and Jesus' justice, that Paul says, these are the only men of the circumcision that are with me, and so the only Jewish Christians that are with him. And then in the next few verses, he describes three Gentile Christians, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. And so right away, in this, even in this final passage, we see Paul structuring even his final greeting— according to his theology of unity in diversity. He gives place to an equal number of Jewish and Gentile believers. And now we read that and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But at that time, that was a big deal. This was the first, uh, you know, inter-ethnic hostility that the gospel came to put aside. And it's not the last. Paul is soaked in the fact that in Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of hostility between human people groups has been destroyed. There is a basis for this unity. There is a foundation for this unity. What is it? It is the broken body of Jesus. When he took sin on the cross into his body, he also took on what divides us. And Paul gets this across clearly and explicitly in Ephesians. And originally he's speaking of the division between Jew and Gentile. Between Jews and all other nations. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that Jesus himself is our peace thereby killing the hostility. And so, in Jesus Christ's finished work, we have a concrete foundation for reconciliation, personally and corporately. And if we take a deeper look at these verses, we see this play out in Paul's personal life. The second person, the second Jewish Christian that Paul lists here in verse 10 is someone named Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, it says. We know this guy. We can hyperlink his name all across the New Testament. For one, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. (laughs) But for another, we can read about him in the book of Acts and in a few other places across the New Testament, and when we do, we are privy to a dramatic story of reconciliation. Listen to it. We first meet him in Acts chapter 12, when the church in Jerusalem, which is where the church started, of course, it's meeting at Mark's mom's house, okay? But then a chapter later, we see him accompany Paul and Barnabas, Mark's cousin, on Paul's first missionary journey. Being sent out from Israel, and Jesus said, go to Judea, Sumaria, and the ends of the earth. And so Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, or the nations, sets off as the first missionary, and he travels across Syria, Cyprus, which is an island just south of ancient Turkey, and then he, they, they go on to ancient Turkey. Barnabas is from Cyprus. And so Mark goes with them. It just says he goes with them. They had Mark to assist them, it says. But here's the thing. Right after sailing from Cyprus north to ancient Turkey, Mark bails on them. And all the info we have is from Acts 13.13, which says, John, otherwise known as Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all it says. So later, when they're done with that journey, when they're back in Antioch, where it's a thriving hub of Christianity, Paul suggests that he and Barnabas go back and retrace their steps and encourage the churches that they started. And Barnabas says, yeah, good idea. Let's bring Mark. And then here's where it gets messy. Luke describes it in Acts 15. It says, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then it goes on, it gets messier, and it says, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. This is Paul and Barnabas now. And it says, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, And departed. Okay. So once Mark bailed on them and went home to his mom in Jerusalem, Paul clearly developed a sour taste for Mark. He was a flake. But Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, he didn't want to give up on his cousin. He wanted to give him another chance. He wanted to cultivate him. He wanted to pour into him. And so what happened next? Well, for one, we have the gospel of Mark, which we might not have had if Barnabas had not been willing to keep pouring into someone whom Paul deemed a flake. But what about Paul and Mark? We see here in Colossians that Paul recommends the Colossian church to welcome him, and it appears that he had already maybe sent instructions to that end, maybe uh, you know clarifying that no, no, our relationship is good. You should welcome this guy. I don't know. We don't. We're not privy to those instructions. But what about their personal relationship? We don't know much, but we do have a strong clue. If we fast forward a few years uh, to the book of 2 Timothy, which is Paul's final letter before he was executed. Paul is writing to his best bud in the faith, his child in the faith, Timothy, who he opened up the book of Colossians saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is like his closest confidant. And so Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11 says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Get Mark. Out of anyone he could have asked Timothy to get, it's the flake. The guy that, that drove a wedge in between Paul and Barnabas's relationship. Paul says, get him. Bring him with you. He is very useful to me. That's a far cry from thinking he's a flake. Useful is basically the opposite of flaky. He went from being a flake to a comfort and an asset. He and Paul were clearly reconciled. And so just as the church is supposed to be a place for redemption, For redeeming stories that seem too far gone, it is also a place for reconciliation. This should be a normal part of what it means to be the people of God on mission and in family together. We're super different, you and I. Y'all are very different from one another. And so this is not going to be easy or automatic. But remembering, staking our claim that our peace is not conjured up within us, but was purchased by the blood of Jesus, we are now called to, as Paul says in Ephesians, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're not called to create the unity. We're called to maintain it because it has been created through the blood and the body of Jesus. And notice how forgiveness is part and parcel to what it means to be a church. If you look back at chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, this isn't always going to be straightforward, immediate, as is the case with Paul. Even the greatest apostle's story of reconciliation here took about 12 years. That first missionary journey is around 49 AD. Paul didn't write 2 Timothy till around 64. This was a long story. God tells long stories, right? And if we're willing, he may just want to write a story of reconciliation that you thought Impossible. Church should be a place for redemption and reconciliation. But the reality is that it's also a struggle. It's not easy. And that'll be where we end. <laughs> Look back at verses 12 through 14. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling. <laughs> okay, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Finally, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And so here we have Epaphras, who comes up again. We met him in chapter 1 which gives us a clue that Epaphras started this church. Epaphras was likely the founding pastor of the churches across this tri-city region. If you remember back in October or whenever we started this book, Colossae is in a tri-city region with Hierapolis and Laodicea. These are three cities that are all close together and were significant in this time, although Colossae was one of the least significant cities in that Tri-City region. And so Epaphras, he was probably converted by Paul in Ephesus while Paul was there for a few years, and then he started these three churches in this region. And so he was faithful, as Paul calls him here in chapter 1, but then he became concerned. He became concerned at some of the syncretistic philosophies creeping into the church. And so he traveled all the way to Paul to get some help. To tell him what was going on in the Colossian church. And so Paul, writing to the Colossians, sings his praises to them. But he also reveals the reality of the struggle that is church. The struggle. And we see a two-fold struggle here for Epaphras. First, it's a struggle spiritually. Paul describes Epaphras's prayer life here. It says he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Epaphras, like Paul, understood that as Paul says in Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Epaphras, like Paul, struggles in prayer for this church. But it's not like we only struggle in prayer and then everything else is simple and easy. And so beyond his prayer life, Paul also describes Epaphras as having worked hard for them as well as the other churches. And that, that term, worked hard, is, it doesn't really get across the, the intense meaning of that word. The word for worked hard can also mean painful labor or affliction. It's not just a spiritual struggle here, but an all-encompassing struggle, affecting the mind, the body, the emotions. This guy is exhausted. But clearly, he believes it is worth it. Why is that? Why is he struggling so hard? Paul says it is so that they may stand mature, which means just complete, and fully assured in all the will of God. And this is the capital W, will of God, as displayed in the gospel of Jesus Every time someone at my hospital job asks me if I like my other job, which is my pastor job, every time they ask me, oh, do you like it? Do you like being a pastor? I always kind of hesitate a little bit. And it's not because I don't like it. It's actually because I love it. I love it. But it's also the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. But it just so happens that I'd have it no other way. Why is that? Because I get to focus my attention and energy on the thing I care about most in the world. That the gospel of Jesus would go out into this city and then I would get to help equip his people to minister in their own contexts. Is it a struggle? Absolutely. But is it worth it? Absolutely. But here's the sad thing. You don't always get to see the fruit of your struggle. Sometimes all you see is discouragement. Sometimes what you see is discouraging results. And here we have, buried in these verses, a story just like that. Paul lists three Gentile names here. Epaphras that we just talked about, and then Luke, and then Demas. Luke, you've probably heard of, he's the writer of the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts. He accompanied Paul on much of his missionary life, as well as in imprisonment. Demas, we see in verse 14, as does Demas. Those are the only three words that are attributed to him. So he is more unknown. Who is this guy? We have two data points for Demas, okay? And so we're going to try and construct a little story here. But again, two data points, it's not that much. So take it with a grain of salt. At this point, when Paul is writing this letter to Colossians, uh, as well as the other letters to Ephesians and Philemon, Demas is present with Paul. Par- clearly he's with him. He's, he's participating in ministry alongside him. Great. Great. That's awesome. Demas is there with Paul. But if we fast forward again to that letter that we've been returning to a few times, 2 Timothy, we find Demas again. and This is the only other uh, mention of this guy in the whole New Testament. This is what Paul has to say about him. Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says, To Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Remember, he's bringing Mark because he's useful again. But then he says this, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Dang. (laughs) Demas is here with Paul. Fast forward a few years. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Now, we don't know if Demas merely departed from ministry with Paul or if he left the Christian faith altogether. But for Paul, he's gone. All that energy pouring into him, cultivating him as a leader, gone. This happens. This happens in ministry. This happens in church. If you've been part of the church for long enough, you have about 100 demises in your life. I didn't say demons, I said demises. This is incredibly difficult. The most difficult part of ministry is keeping your heart from becoming jaded, cynical, or calloused, and remaining tender and open, even when people walk out on you. It would be easy, after that happens, enough times to hold people at arm's length because of past hurts from others. But that's not what Paul does. Listen to his words just a few verses later in that same letter in 2 Timothy. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he says this, May it not be charged against them. And then he says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so Paul receives what he needs from the Lord directly and in in so doing, he is able to avoid bitterness. He is able to avoid resentment. He is able to say, may it not be charged against them. And so for us, we don't know how much of a a person's story we are going to be privy to. We don't know. We don't know when someone is going to just walk out on us. No idea. We just keep going, trying to be faithful to God, to fear him alone, and be faithful to the work that he's called us to. Paul was able to let Demas walk away. And it didn't kill his passion for the Lord. It didn't kill his tenderness to those who are outside. His success or failure with Demas did not make or break his mission. Church is a painful place. It's a messy place. So why do we stay? Because the church is what God is up to in this world. Did you know that he, God, is using the church to show off his glory in front of all the angels and demons in the universe? Did you know that? Check it out. In Paul, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, he's talking of his own ministry to the nations his own ministry to build, you know, to be a master builder, as he called himself, of God's church. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here it is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Jesus showcases his victory over Satan and all of his minions by pointing at you and me. He says, look at them. They display my manifold wisdom. Manifold just means many-sided, many facets. My, my diamond-like wisdom that shines in all its brilliance. Look at them. Look at what I have done. Look at what I am doing. Look at what I will do in them. That's how he's showing off to all the spiritual forces in the world. As long as we remain a beautiful mess of overlapping stories of redemption, of reconciliation and struggle in the name and the power of Jesus, our King. We're doing something right. And then Paul says to the Galatian church, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keep going. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for each person here, Lord, I don't know where they're at in their story. I don't know where you're at in writing their story, but they're here right now. I thank you for bringing them here to this moment. I thank you that you have counted each one of us worthy and and qualified us, as Paul says in chapter 1, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That the call has gone out to each person here that you are willing, if they haven't already placed their trust in you, you are willing to deliver them from the domain of whatever darkness they find themselves bound to and to transfer them to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What good news. I pray that each person here would be more impacted right now and more able to give you ground in their life, to cede ground to the person who loves them the most, who has a good plan for their life, but not just their life, but their eternity. I pray that you would do this work in us by your Holy Spirit, even in these next few minutes as we spend time responding in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to spend some time just responding in worship to this God, to this Savior. Uh, Andres and Luann will be right up front here uh, and available to you if you want to receive prayer, if you want to come bear your burdens to someone who loves you, who loves Jesus. Come on and come on down and receive prayer. Uh, for the rest of us, we're going to sing and worship uh, loudly. And then we're also going to partake in communion. And we're going to do it a little differently as it's the fourth uh, Sunday. Uh, go ahead and come up, grab the elements of communion, the wine or the juice, and then the cracker. Uh, bring it back to your seat. And do not eat or drink it, please, until the end. Because we're going to do that together as a family. So let's spend the next few songs in worship.